All right, so we're back uh, with episode number 10 with Justin Compton, is somebody I've been um, interested in having on. I have watched Justin's career take off. Oh, sorry, let me turn my phone off. I watched Justin's career kind of take off, and uh, I watched from afar but didn't know too much about him, so I wanted to get him on the podcast and ask him some questions uh, directly. So, Justin, how are you, man? Doing good, man. Just uh, catching up on some work this morning, scheduling some flights and doing some business stuff. That's good. That's good. So I wanted to ask you a whole bunch of questions, but I guess we'll start with how is your coaching business going now? And is that like your main, is that your main kind of purpose right now is just to coach and kind of get guys to where they want to be? As far as bodybuilding goes, yes, that's kind of what I'm focusing on. Uh, I do have other streams of revenues, you know, I've talked about in the past on other podcasts, like stock market stuff, um, more of like, uh, you know, short term sales, short sell, stuff like that. But um, I don't do a lot of it. Like I've actually got a very large clientele now, you know, I keep roughly a hundred plus people on board all the time. So it usually keeps me busy, you know, like three to four hours in the morning and then another three, four, sometimes five hours in the evening. And then the weekends you know people's competing and whatnot so it definitely takes up a lot of time doing it but i enjoy it so you know i'm pretty happy with where things is i have a pretty good team behind me uh for the most part you know and i'm liking where everybody's at right now i can kind of uh imagine what you're going through a little bit i've never really like i've never really focused on the coaching business as much as i i should have uh, it's not really a passion of mine yeah. but um a hundred a hundred clients uh, sorry I- what's that no, it definitely takes um, some patience from you to be able to do it. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not good with patience for myself. But a hundred clients is uh, a lot of clients. Are you able to manage, you know, client number one as well as client number a hundred? Like, is everybody getting your attention, or do you have yeah. coaches that work under you? No, I don't have anyone that works under me. So, like, when people, um, you know, they get my email, it's actually from me. Uh, a lot of my clients I use WhatsApp with, or, you know, if, if that's what they prefer. So that way, you know, if they, they want to call me, that's fine too. I prefer not to call just simply because, you know, a call, you know, I can do an email response in, you know, five, sometimes 10 minutes, but a call, you know, could take more time. So I prefer to be time efficient with it. But, you know, if somebody needs something specific, I don't have a problem getting on the phone with them either. So you're, you're on, you're talking to all your clients on the phone. It's not just email or or text or anything like that? Like you actually get on the phone with them and, and talk I to them that way? Email, text, WhatsApp, you know, I even got guys that, you know, update me through Instagram. That's just their preference. So I'm like, all right, right that's fine. You know, normally so, when I wake up in the mornings, I just look at a platform. Either I'll go to emails, WhatsApp, you know, Instagram or text, and I'll answer everything there and then go over to the next one and then so forth. So I want to ask you – so is this is this how you is do you plan to stay in the bodybuilding world with this kind of with this job or is this just kind of for now and then you kind of want to exit bodybuilding eventually or how does that all I think I'll always be here to fit. I don't think I want to have a hundred clients, you know, ultimately for the next twenty or thirty years. I don't think I can quite handle that. My patience and blood pressure can't. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we've we've looked into different things, man. Um I've looked into rental properties, like flipping property. You know, the thing about that is, like, I don't, a property is actually higher where you're at than it is here. So, you know, in order to, like, flip property efficiently, 
you need a substantial amount of equity up front to do so. Yeah. And then, you know, we've looked into the restaurants, which that kind of scares me a little bit, just simply because that's one of the most common failing businesses. Yeah. We actually, so, um... I mean, I always wanted the gym, but like, I always wanted the gym while I was competing. Now that I'm not actually competing, I don't know if I would want to pursue that. And especially in the last, I'm going to say the last 10 to 12 years, the fitness industry has become very saturated, obviously with supplement companies, clothing companies, but also the gyms too. Like yeah. I remember, you know, 10 to 12 years ago when I was like just getting started into competing, we didn't have like, like, you know, the small town that I'm from, it had one gym. Now it's got four. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's really no need for four gyms in that town, but it's just the fact that it's growing that fast. And, yeah. you know, it's obviously going to affect business when you have that much competition. I noticed that here, uh, me and a, me and my business partner here were talking about opening a gym and there's literally like, there's gotta be 35 gyms in my city and it's only 200,000 people here. But, yeah. uh, the one thing I did notice was there isn't any hardcore gyms. So me and a friend of mine were like, you know, we can still do it. We just have to cater to that like bodybuilding crowd that really likes to lift because most of the gyms are, are catering to like, people. what's that? If you have enough people, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's okay. Um, if you have enough people in like that field in your area, it can work. But I've found that most of the bodybuilding gyms that I, I've traveled to, like I'm sure you have too. Like when you go around the world, you go to gyms, the hardcore gym that you go to, if you just take a look around, you don't see a lot of members in there. And that yeah. is what scares me with that. You know, I personally don't want to walk into a crowded gym. I would rather have it all to myself. But I also know that that's not good for business. No, and I agree with that. But I think our thing was um, the gym that we wanted to do was more of a passion project. It wasn't really like, you know, we want to do other things to make more money too. And if we make a little bit of money at it, it's cool. But it was more of a kind of just a place for us to train and have as our own. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so that's not something you want to get into right now. I've considered it, you know, but honestly – I don't think I would do the hardcore style gym just because at least the areas that I've lived in in my life, there's not enough clientele to support, you know, what just the overhead of what that's going to be. Like if you had, I feel like you're going to need a minimum of a thousand members just to keep you floating. And yeah. there's just not that many people that compete around here. And, you know, if you're, it's hard to also compete when you have the other gyms that's charging fifteen ninety nine a month or you know nineteen ninety nine a month. It's hard to compete with that because they're like a corporation who yeah. has enough money. But take Planet Fitness; they can offer people ten dollars a month, and for the first year or two in these small cities, they can actually lose money and be okay with that until yeah. they can monopolize the market by putting the smaller gyms out, the local gyms out, and then they got the whole market to themselves. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense, and, and I understand. That I know. So what? So what is the? What are some of the other things you're doing other than stock market? Is there other thing? And is it real estate, stock market, and coaching? That's kind of where you're at right now. Coaching probably takes seventy percent of my time. Um, real estate is something I actually haven't moved into that yet. Like I want to say that that's something I want to do, but it's not something that I've moved into just simply because I'm not educated enough in it. I'm yeah. trying to learn more. That's something you know you don't really want to. I'm not willing to. I don't gamble. I'll say that yeah, like, I don't. Yeah. I don't gamble with anything. So I don't want. If I'm going to do something, I want to make a very educated decision in doing it. And yes, yeah, stocks is obviously gambling, but you know, I'm I'm very uh, particular on what I'll, I'll buy yeah. as well. Like if I don't see solid breakout coming, I'm out. You know, I don't take any risk with it. Primarily because I've lost in the past, and I don't want to go through that again. 
um, it seems like you're very calculated in all of your decisions. So yeah, me too risky. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was I looked at your competition history and I noticed you have some pretty big jumps. Like it, I looked at your NPC nationals the first year and then the next year you won the first year. I think you were 13th or something like that. It said, and then I also, yeah. no, also noticed in your pro career, uh, you were fifth, and then the next year after that, you were first. So yeah. what is it – how are you making these jumps? Because I think what I what people want to know is – some of these guys want to know how to put on muscle. And you have people like, you know, Tony Huge and these people saying you put on 30 pounds of muscle in a month and all this shit. And we both know that's nonsense. But I want to know, and I think a lot of people want to know, because I you you interviewed me at the Toronto Pro in 2012 or 2013. Yeah, it's 13. You, I don't know if you remember that, but you said to me yeah. at the end of the end of the interview, uh, one day I'll be standing with you or next to you or something like that. And I thought to myself, I think I just figured out, I just found out who you were. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm like, okay. And then the next year you fucking blew past me. So I don't, how do you go from uh, a, a new pro who's like still trying to make his mark to just like, making that huge jump and getting into the top tier? Like, what did you do? Well, starting out with nationals, um, you know, everyone sees 13th, you know, first. But really, that year, 2011, the year that I finished 13th, I had just previously gotten um, second at junior national. I was behind Kevin Jordan. And I feel like that was a really good look for me, especially from what I came for in my previous contest. But when I did the nationals in 2011, 2011, when I got 13th, I did not look good. I was not proud of that. Like it was uh, probably the, not probably, it's the actual worst placing I ever got in my whole career. Like I almost walked away, like finishing 13th out of like, I want to say 18, maybe 20 guys. Mm -hmm. It was enough to make me just want to um, say, okay, this is a fun little hobby, fun little pastime. It's time to, you know, like I have an engineering degree. So I was like, you know, maybe it's time to just become an engineer and change your lifestyle and, move on with that and I didn't really work out that much for like maybe a month six weeks after like hit or miss because I was like you know what's what's the point in me like pushing myself to this limit but I got back on the bandwagon and I started working with FAC again at that point so FAC's the guy who prepped me for the 2011 junior nationals where I was on point so I figured okay I'll go back to him and we can nail this so 2012 I had a really good season uh I had a couple little minor injuries but for the most part it was good life was good stress was low trend like the training was really good and my lifestyle was allowing for bodybuilding to be 100 percent. how so how so like what was it what was it about your lifestyle that made it more conducive one thing i think everybody that competes you have a choice like when it comes to uh how strict you want to be with things and you know my choice was always to be a hundred percent like all the time there was no excuses whatever but you know, when people work, like, you know, one of my good friends at, at that time, he was working masonry construction. I mean, he's outside in the heat, you know, 100 plus degrees every day, carrying yeah. cinder blocks. I know for a fact, if I was doing that, by the time I got to the gym, I would be completely shot. And yeah. just the fact that it's burning up so much calories and energy, I don't feel like I would make any progress. I feel like if I had to do that job, I would have went backwards. Yeah. And thankfully for me, I had a nice little desk job at the time. So I'm sitting in air conditioning. I can make my schedule. When I didn't have a job where like people, uh, I was a loan officer. Like people didn't come to my office. Like I called you and I set up the appointments. 
and I did everything uh, on my terms. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to people's houses and sign papers. So again, everything was on my terms. When it was time to eat, I ate. You know, if somebody's on the phone, all right, you know, it's what I need to do. So I was able to do exactly what I needed to do. You know, the only difference between me doing that and not working is, you know, the fact that I'm on the computer front. Yeah. You know, I'm just sitting there typing all day. So yeah. that made it really easy. And quite honestly, I was fortunate enough to have like my lifestyle set up like that the majority of my career. I never had to actually get out and, you know, kill myself. And I do applaud those guys that do that. I remember, I think it was like 2010 or 11, when John De La Rosa turned pro and he said he was working as an elevator mechanic, like 10 or 11 hours a day and, yeah. you know, an hour to the gym, an hour back to his house. And I was just like, man, more, like you're more of a man than I am. Like, I don't think I could have ever did what you did. Under the <laughs> I know. I hear that. He just said that on my podcast. He's talking about that. Oh. And uh, I, 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 I'm like you, I worked as a manager, even uh, my job is even cushier. I worked as a manager at a strip club. And I just got to sit there. <laughs> I got to sit around and eat. Yeah. I had to eat and and train when I want to train. And that was like, and I tell people kind of what you just said is, if you want to be a pro, you got to find a job that's bodybuilding friendly. It's going to allow you, you to eat. Find a job eat. that allows you to not beat your body up outside the gym, but also a job that allows you to have enough income to support your lifestyle as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, fortunately for me, I didn't have, uh, didn't have any student loans. I didn't have any outstanding debt. You know, I didn't have anything. And that combined, you know, with the loan officer position, I was able to live the life that I wanted to live. You know, I was able to buy anything I wanted to buy at that point in my life. Yeah. So I wanted, I want to ask you, you said something about an engineering degree. Was bodybuilding always your plan or was it kind of like something you no, fell into? No, it, it was never my plan, to be honest. Oh. I just kind of, I literally fell into it. Like it's always been on my, um, you know, like it's, it's been like a priority in my life. It's definitely been like at the top of the list. Yeah. And, you know, as a teenager, I didn't quit. And I remember online, I was looking, um, uh, this was like 2004, 2005, you know, back when there was old 56 K dial up internet. So like, I'm trying to look at videos and that was no go. Couldn't do it. Yeah. I was seeing pictures of like the teenagers at teen nationals. And I was just thinking, there's no way I could ever be like that. And then I look at the guys at the men's nationals. I'm like, well, that's you no know, long out of my league. Yeah. I just like, I want to look as good as I can look. If I can be the biggest guy in my gym or I can be the biggest guy in my town, that's what I want to do. And then, you know, I won my first competition and that was, um, you know, a, a milestone for me to get started. It gave me the confidence that I needed to continue pushing. Yeah. But even then, you know, I did six more or five more competitions as a teenager. I won every team division that I entered. Um, I was nationally qualified as a teenager in the open as well. Yeah. So I was doing good, but I knew that that was, that's still, you know, that's great and all, but that's still nothing like to being a pro and making a living as a pro. That's completely different. So, so let me, let me stop you for one second. Cause I don't want to skip too far ahead. So as you're winning the teen competitions, are you still thinking I'm going to be an engineer and that's your focus? Or are you like, Hey, maybe I should do this. Like no, maybe, no. maybe I should be a bodybuilder or no. At that time in my life, I didn't actually understand that bodybuilding could pay your bills. I didn't oh. know that. Like <laughs> I all these guys that, uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, but I lost the video. Uh, you know, I have a call coming in. Um, okay. I got you. Coming back. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, so at that time in my life, I actually didn't know that these guys were earning a living. Like, 
I would open the magazines. I didn't know that like all these guys on those muscle tech ads, I think you were the muscle tech too. Yeah. Yeah. I I was at the time. Yeah. I didn't realize there was money and salary in that. Like I didn't know. I thought, Oh, these guys are getting a free photo shoot probably and getting their stuff on magazines. That's cool. (laughs) Like I had no idea. So for someone to say, like if someone had told me like 15 years old, Hey, you have good genetics. You can make a living out of this. I probably would have pursued it even harder. And hopefully I would, you know, made it even sooner. And, you know, like when I turned pro, I think, uh, uh, again, at this point, I'm still completely clueless. When I turned pro, magazine contracts are offering me like $500 a month. And I'm like, man, it really just doesn't seem worth my time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you want this is, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is after you turn pro? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go yeah. on. Sorry. I didn't, have any, uh, I didn't have any companies reach out. To me until I was getting ready for my pro debut and then once again that was also and at this time keep in mind uh, after I turned pro I started coaching and I was coaching maybe like 30 40 people on the side yeah and that was plenty of money to supplement me I didn't I wasn't looking for sponsorship yeah I had a company reach out to me um, I'm not gonna name it we're both pretty familiar with it and they offered me $500 a month again but you know the obligations were like Man, I was going to be overseas like six or seven times a year. I was going to be traveling. Yeah. And keep in mind at this point as well, I didn't get on my uh, – sorry, I flew when I was like 19 for the first time. But I didn't fly from like 19 to like 24 years old. I didn't know how to bodybuild and travel. Yeah. Like, I didn't know how to pack food. I didn't know how to do anything. Like I didn't really – I don't think Uber – I don't even know if Uber was around then. So No, it wasn't. Like, no. I just didn't want to like compromise my lifestyle. You know, I had this perfect schedule, eating at this time, training at this time. And if you're willing to pay me big money to like fuck up my day, that's cool. But like you're giving me $500 a month and doing all travel and stuff. Yeah. I got my supplements for free, but honestly the company that I was going to be working for, I didn't really like their supplements. I want, I I want to know what company you're talking about. <laughs> it was SciTech. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd never even used their products before. Yeah. Yeah. They approached me and they wanted to give me $500 a month. And yeah. I'm like, and the obligations of this is just, it just does not. Yeah. So uh, going into that, I ended up getting fifth at Chicago Pro. And then I went on and I signed with Gear right afterwards, yep. which was also a huge mistake. Yeah. For one, I was worth more money than they actually paid me, but I didn't know that because um, Sean Ray ended up calling me and we all know where that goes. Yeah. <laughs> with things. Um, yeah. I'm not much on Sean as a person, but as, you know, a bodybuilder, I have to give Sean credit. He's probably my, maybe my all-time favorite. But um, yeah. anyway, so I, that contract was supposed to be for, I think it was two years, but as you know, that company ended up tanking. So but One sec, I want to ask you a question. So did Sean, I know how Sean could be. So did Sean talk you into that contract? Did he tell you it was a good yeah. deal? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. I'm sure he got a kickback from it. He would probably, I never admit that, but he was getting some sort of a kickback. His job was the marketing manager. And yeah. you know, I later found out as the marketing manager, the only thing he was really supposed to do was find a few athletes. Yeah. And he was making, I want to say it was around four or five times the amount of money I was making. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that's all he did. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry. So, okay. So go on. So after gear closes up shop, then what? Um, well, it actually didn't close up before I got out. Um, okay. So I did the Orlando pro. You know, they paid all my expenses and everything. Uh, and you got, I got a bonus for winning the show, which they paid for. And then the following month, 
They just defaulted. Okay. They, they didn't send anything. So I call them out. Two weeks later goes, I didn't send anything. But at this point, I'm getting a lot of offers coming on the table. Like a lot of companies are reaching out to me because now that I won my first pro show. What, what, were, what, were some of the, what were some of the companies offering you? What were they offering? Um, I mean, I had probably 15 to 20 different companies. Like if I wanted at that point, like, you know, bodybuilding back then was about, you know, who you are and the popularity and what you've done. It's not, it wasn't all about social media. Yeah. 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 So all I had to do was like pick up the phone and, you know, I could, I could call one of these supplement owners and I could have a conversation with them. Yeah. You know, the contracts ranged anywhere from like, you know, low end 4,500 a month and high end up to 11 grand a month. Okay. You know, obviously, uh, perks to some and, you know, cons to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had a huge spectrum, but I'm not making anywhere near that with gear. And I'm thinking, man, you locked yourself into a contract and now you're getting fucked. <laughs> so they faulted on me. And yeah. I was like, you know, I'm a man of my word. I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. When they defaulted, you know, I contacted my attorney. He looked over the contract and he said, yeah, they are in clear breach of the contract. So, yeah. you know, we sent them a letter. Like, they had 30 days to make it right, too. That's the fucked up part. And yeah, yeah. Make it right. So yeah. I, got, I actually got to bounce out early. While the other athletes that stayed, um, Aaron Clark did. I think Aaron stayed for, like, six more months. Yeah. And I think he said the same thing. Like, he was staying but he wasn't getting paid. You know, he was basically doing the promos. He was traveling, doing videos, yep. doing photos, eating, but he wasn't getting his check. Like, I guess they were just bullshitting their way through it with him. I, the company, yeah. the company made a lot of money because I, I'm pretty sure I didn't know this. I didn't know anything about the stock market at the time, but I'm pretty sure it was a big, massive pumping up scheme. Okay. You know, he like, yeah, he like signs these deals with like muscular development that they're giving them like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for advertising. So all these investors are seeing these deals being struck. I mean, that's kind of what pumps a stock up. It's like when you sign a big time deal, yeah. you know, they see that they're signing all the athletes. Like at the time, Aaron got third, I think, at the Arnold, which was behind Flex and Jose. So, you know, he's like technically would be considered like a top three athlete yeah. at that point. And then, you know, there's me and I think um, they didn't have any figure girls. That have, they had Jason Posted. Um, the men's physique guy, which he was like third at the Olympia too. So this company's signing everyone. Yeah. Like left and right. Signed Juan Morel as well. They got him on board. And I think Juan didn't last like two or three months until the same thing happened to him as well. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So they basically just did a massive pump and dump. So who did you who did you end up going to after? Uh, um, I worked with Evagen for uh, like two and a half years. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember that. Okay. So that was good for you. And then did did you finish out your career with them or no? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. So just so, just so some of the listeners, cause some of these guys listening are going to be young bodybuilders that are coming up that want to be in your shoes. So I wanted to go through, I didn't want to get too much into it, but I wanted to go through it just so they know what to expect. I mean, Justin was in the top tier of bodybuilding and looked at as a possible top six Olympian and you were, like you said, you're ranging from 4,500 to 11 grand. I suspect, yeah. I suspect someone like Aaron Clark and I, I, no, this isn't, I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but I suspect someone like Aaron Clark probably stayed there because he didn't have any other offers that were better. Aaron, um, I can't, I don't know his personal stuff, but I'm pretty yeah. sure when we signed with gear, we were both getting the same deal. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know about his like the perks and you know side benefits that go with it, but I'm pretty sure it was the same contract. Now afterwards, I highly doubt you know that Aaron got the deals and the offers that I did. Yeah, because yeah. I think I'm actually still like the number one most searched athlete on MP. So like that 2014-2015 time frame, my name and like my stock was actually very hot. So yeah. you know, let's say this: SciTech actually came back to me. He actually the, the guy he was cool too and honestly i understand business yeah you know you got a rookie pro you can find him for cheap by all means do it yeah um, but he actually approached me backstage at the orlando pro and um he's he asked me if i was signed with anyone and asked me how long the contract was and if i could get out of it and if i'd be willing to come to them and i actually just shot him a number that was like at that time in my life i thought this is completely unrealistic he'll laugh at me <laughs> I like yeah we can do that and i'm like oh shit i was like and it made me realize what i could get yeah I, mean, I couldn't work with it just simply because i was locked into another contract at the time yeah but it means he didn't even hesitate and say no yeah he didn't even try to negotiate with me. i was like man i'm really getting shafted here yeah well i think a lot of guys you know i the one thing i have seen in my career uh, as i've gone i think a lot of guys always sell themselves short and i've noticed over the course of my career i've gotten paid uh, a lot more than guys who are a lot better than I was. And Cytec's yeah. a perfect example because uh, Cytec paid me a stupid amount of money and I wasn't on your level, but they came to me and, I, and at, in 2012, I think, uh, or 2011, I had left MuscleTech. MuscleTech actually let a whole bunch of people go because yeah. they needed the money to sign Phil Heath. And Cytec had came to me and I said, I want six figures. And they said, okay. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't even a top 10 Olympian at the time. And, uh, they, the companies have money. And I think a lot of times these guys coming up and bodybuilders coming up, just don't know better. Like you said, you had to, you had to kind of do it as a joke to figure out what you were really worth. Yeah. And then when you realize That's it, what I did with him is I shot him a, you know, a six figure number and you know, he didn't even hesitate. And yeah. I was thinking, man, I'm making 25 grand a year from this other company. And this is what I could be getting. <laughs> so let me ask you. So at what point did the engineering career kind of go out the window and bodybuilding took over? I graduated. I, I officially got my degree in summer of summer of 2011 after I'd finished juniors. And, you know, after I finished juniors, I had a lot of people talking to me like, you know, you can go pro, you can do all this, you can, you know, you have a future in this. But that still did not solidify me anything because, yeah, that's great. You got a pro card. But again, at that time, I didn't realize the money involved. I'm like, yeah, I want to be a pro. I want to be able to claim that. I want to be an Olympian. I want all of that. But I also have to pay my bills. I have to make a living. I have to think about retirement. So right. I hadn't really considered getting rid of the job. But one of my close friends back home had got me set up with this mortgage company. And that was um, something that sort of, I feel like was going to allow me to continue. I was going to make the same, if not more money doing that than I was engineering. Yeah. Um, it required an education for it. You did have to pass an NMLS exam. Uh, it's like uh, a mortgage license. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's MLO. Yeah. I had to have yeah. my MLO license. And that was yeah. actually, I can say, going through engineering school, that MLO test was harder than any exam I ever did at college. Really? You only had three You had chances to pass it. So if you failed it the first time, you had to wait 30 days. If you failed it the second time, you have to wait 30 days. If you failed it the third time, you got to wait six months. Really? I actually 
twice. Like, <laughs> I have failed one class throughout my entire educational career, and then I failed this exam twice, and that's it. So, I mean, that thing was pretty hard, but I ended up doing that until I turned pro. And after I turned pro, I started seeing, like, I could technically make my own schedule around my clients and whatnot. You know, I was getting a lot of business in with that. So yeah. I started coaching, you know, basically coaching full-time at that point. Um, and then, uh, uh, let's see, 2013, when I signed with Gear, I started making more money with that. So I kind of, like, backed away from the coaching some. I had maybe, let's say, 15, 20 clients to supplement that income. I'm yeah. not making great money, but I'm still living the life that I want to live. Yeah, yeah. And then 2014 comes around whenever I signed an actually good deal, and I'm also winning bigger shows and making more money. At that point, I decided I didn't really, I didn't really want to coach because I was actually a bad, bad coach back then. Like you email me and you might get a response two or three days later. <laughs> and it got to the point where like, that's not professional on my part. Yeah. And it's not good for them either. So I just kind of stopped doing it. You know, I coached a couple of my close friends, but I closed my doors for like two years. So now yeah. that I'm not traveling all the time, I'm not on the road, you know, I'm not beat up from, you know, actually doing contests. I have the time and the availability for it. So I enjoy doing it now. So that's one of the questions I want to ask you. You seem, and don't take this the wrong way, but online you seem like a really no bullshit kind of person. You're not like, you're not like a fluffy, like emotional, like kind of coddled. Yeah. You don't seem like, and nowadays I think a lot of clients want that. They want to, they want a coach that's going to like coddle them along and get them to, how have you been able to be so successful having a hundred clients with like this approach where you're like, I get, I get what the sense I get of your approach when you were a bodybuilder yourself and your approach as a coach is fuck you. Just do it. Is that pretty, um, is that pretty accurate? It's similar. Like when I was competing myself, that was my attitude that I approached myself with because I always coached, well, sorry, I didn't always coach myself. Factory coached me until 2013, and then I coached myself. Yeah. And then in 16, you know, I worked with a couple of people, you know, sporadically. I worked with Jansen, and I worked with Dave Caleb for a little bit. But um, for the most part, you know, the show, I can say the shows that I actually did win, the pro mm -hmm. shows I won, I coached myself for all of those. You know, most people don't know that for some reason. And you're, well, I think. Everyone seemed to think because I'm working with do what? I think it's because my, my, uh, I think you said something about it that cleared it up for me. But at the time, I thought Jansen was your coach because he was always posting little things. He coached Sorry. me for the 2016 Arnold. Okay. Uh, yeah, the 16 Arnold Columbus. And then I ended up finishing. There was uh, not actually, there was no drama between me and Matt. Sorry. I think it's I'll, okay. It's yeah, okay. Go ahead. Sorry, I lost the video there. There was no drama between me and Matt. Me and Matt still talk this day, but you know, there was an, issue so to say you know matt knows about it i'm not going to go into that all right now but there was an issue finishing my own prep out so i did that for the arnold australia where i did improve pretty good for that but i was also much lighter as well okay um at the arnold 16 the 2016 prep was by far the hardest prep i've ever had in my life you know it was like every obstacle was constantly being thrown at me yeah but that's the same with the coaching of the um, you know do it and fuck off mentality that's how I treated myself and my clients. Sometimes I want them to do exactly that. But I also know that circumstances occur in people's lives. These people are not, some of the people are pros, but not all of them are pros. Yeah. Some of them have real jobs and they have 
have circumstances to work around in their life. So mm -hmm. I take the, you know, the life that they got and I work bodybuilding into that the best possible way for some of them. Because some so, of the guys I work with are not actually competitors. Some of them just want to live a good, healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And that kind of changes how I handle my approach. So you, know, you if you're like two weeks of a pro show and you're telling me you want to do this and you want to do that, I'm just going to probably throw in the fucking towel. Like, you know, you're <laughs> at a pro show, like, why are you uh, dicking around with your stuff? Yeah. But, you know, like I said, if someone's like, you know, you know, they're, they're like a lifestyle client, so to say. I think that's the term people use nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when they're going on vacation, I'm just going to tell them to, here's your diet, use my fitness pal, enjoy it, though, while you're there. Like, I don't want you to eat chicken and rice the whole time you're sitting on the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you got to use your head with it. Like, make smart decisions. Like, you know, if you if you've had a big breakfast, like uh, you guys got a place I really love in Canada. It's called Cora's. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I had like a big Cora's breakfast, I'm not gonna go have burgers and fries at lunch and then pizza at nighttime. I'm gonna moderate like moderate that a little bit. Is that how? Okay, so this gets me into a totally different topic. But is that okay? So. I established the fact that pre-contest you're just militant and you're like, okay, I got to do this. So I'm going to do it. But in the off season, do you still kind of track things or are you a little bit free with the way you eat for myself or my clients for yourself? Mm, I got an idea of what I'm eating and it probably stays in the same range, but like, I don't like set stay to a plan. Like, um, I normally have probably four meals at the same, like four chicken and rice and vegetable meals. Like yeah. I have like three or four of those a day that never really change. And then breakfast is different, you know, if I'm having like French toast, waffles, pancakes, whatever, and then dinner. And then I'll have maybe one day a week that I'll just say, fuck it, I'm eating whatever. You know, whatever. <laughs> okay, so this is totally shocking to me because obviously I didn't know you. I don't yeah. I have an idea as well as I thought I did. I had this idea in my mind that you were like, like I just like Branch Warren came to guest pose at my show and Branch didn't really eat anything that wasn't a bodybuilding food. You know, if we were out for breakfast, he would have steak and eggs. If we, you know, we went out for burgers, he would still have like a steak at the place if he could. Yeah. I didn't think, I didn't think that you were, you sound like me. You have like four bodybuilding meals and then a couple, like whatever the fuck you want meals. No, when I was competing that, that I'll say that's a little bit different story. That's how I live nowadays. But okay. Let's go back. Let's go back to when you were like, Let's go back to when you progressed from like, you know, just starting as a pro to like, I'm at the top of the fucking game. How was your off season then? Was it really structured or was it? It was extremely structured, you know, like, okay. Um, I used to wonder like, you know, how I, like I would see other guys at the airport and whatnot, you know, like say, you know, when you go to the Arnold, you're going to meet other bodybuilders at yeah. you know, Columbus airport. Yeah. I would see people, you know, we would talk and chat and whatnot. And they're eating like granola bars or uh, you know, <laughs> MRE shit, stuff like that. And here I am with Tupperware, cream of rice, and like, you know, cold egg whites or some shit like yeah. that. And yeah. just, like, in my head, I'm like, why the fuck aren't you, you all doing this? Like, I don't understand it. Like, like you're on my level. Why aren't you doing this? Um, yeah. So yeah. When I was competing. I was very, like, I would have maybe, my off season would have like maybe two structured cheat meals. And when I say structured, I mean, like, I would plan something like, Monday night and like Thursday night or something like that. I wouldn't just eat them freely. Yeah. And then uh, the other meals were on point, you know, everything. If I was doing 110 grams of cream of rice, it was 110. 
and not 109 or 111. Like everything was on point. And I never yes. missed anything either. I mean, it didn't matter. Like if I had to eat fish on the plane right beside like two people, both sides of me, I didn't care. I just did it. How the fuck? See that, that I can't believe you just gave me that scenario because it was those scenarios where I was a bad bodybuilder. Like I'd be, I would be the guy sitting at the airport with a granola bar. and i would be i would be the guy on the plane not even with fish i would have chicken and i'm like i don't want to open this fucking tupperware with all these people around because i know it's going to smell like shit so i would literally wait until i got until we landed and sometimes sometimes like a six-hour flight you know what i mean so do you think always like i was always like looking down at the clock you know like if it's been like two and a half hours it's time to eat no matter where i'm at I don't know if people know that about you, man, because that's really like, that sounds like a Dorian Nates approach where it's like, I don't fucking care if it's prep time or not. This is my yeah. life. Like if you ever, um, I'm trying to think, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time in like 2014, 15 with Matt, but yeah. any of the guys um, you know, around the Kentucky area where I was living at the time, they would all vouch and be like, yeah, you, the only way you're going to get Justin to break his diet is you're going to have to put a gun to his face really like i just simply it's not so much the fact that i didn't want to do it it's just the fact that i knew this is what i needed to do like you know, i look at food sometimes and i'm like i could eat it i could not eat it but i know this is going to make me better yeah see that's so, so crazy. I, I just forced <sighs> some people have asked me in my career do you regret anything or could you have done anything better and i say to them uh i lived the life i wanted to live and I've been happy with the way I live my life. And I don't think uh, being 10% harder working would have made me, would have put me in the top tier. But then I hear people like you and I'm like, maybe that was the one piece that I haven't plugged in yet. You know what I mean? Getting that like every single meal, right? Every single, like counting every single carb. Cause for me, it's always been, I have a base diet and then I'm going to eat whatever I want on top of that. You know what I mean? So see, it's just, as far as like some of the regrets and stuff that you were talking about there, like in hindsight now, and I look at this, I have a good metabolism to eat the amount of food and volume that I've eaten over the years and not just be a complete slob. You know, yeah. like um, when I was pushing my peak body weight, I was eating around 8,500, 9,000 calories. Holy shit. A lot of people can't fathom that, but you know, I had like a very structured diet and I was doing it. And that being said, I stayed relatively lean in doing so as well. Can I interrupt? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Justin. Can I interrupt you for one second? Because that's like yeah. people are going to find that to be crazy. So let's take the 8,500 or let's just take 9,000 for a round number. You're eating 9,000 yeah. calories of like clean food, like prep food? Yes and no. Like some of it, I guess you would say, like some people wouldn't call like a like a um, Ezekiel bread and bagels and stuff like that. They wouldn't call that prep food. I would. But, you know, I mostly was eating rice. I'd have one potato meal a day. Usually it was about a pound, like a 16-ounce potato. Yeah. And then I would have oats. Like, oats is something I just can't get rid of, man. It's my favorite food. Most people <laughs> say it bloats them whatever. Um, I love oats. Green yeah. rice. I would eat bagels. Uh, post-workout, I was always having, like, bagels and jam or honey and something like that to it. Yeah. I ate a lot of whole eggs. So I was getting in my protein and my fats at the same time with that. And I ate a lot of steak, too. And there was times like in my off season when I was pushing the calories up, I, I wouldn't necessarily eat uh, sirloin or like ninety ten or something. I would purposely eat a little 
but fattier steak. Yeah. So I was getting food in that way and avocados. I could eat like 10 of those a day. Okay. So those are all, okay. But wait a minute. Those are all bodybuilding foods. So it's not like you're eating garbage. Like you're eating. I would also do uh, rice pasta as well. I mean, technically it's, it's pasta, but it's still made of like brown rice. Yeah. You know, I'd have people look and they'd be like, you're not allowed to eat pasta. And I'm like, I just didn't acknowledge it. You know, I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I know, whatever. <laughs> I do. I do the rice pasta as well. But so eight or 9,000 calories a day, every day. And your body was processing it. Do you think your body was processing it because it was so clean or is it just a genetic thing for you? Um, both, I think. Um, okay. At that time, I was training, like, when I was actually eating, like, that many calories, I remember I was doing a two-a-day training split. Ah, okay. Now, when I, two-a-day is down, I think I was still somewhere around, um, I monitored my weight every day for, like, a week to kind of see where I was fluctuating. And I think I was still around 7,000, 7,500, you know, so backing that training session off didn't lower my calories significantly. Yeah. So, let me ask you, because I track calories... Sorry, I tried the two. I tried the two a day training. I've done it a few times, and I actually like the way it works. But I've never done it with eight or nine thousand calories. How long did you do it? How long did you do the two a day training? And did you stop because you burnt out, or did you stop for some other reason? No, I stopped because I was hurting. Like okay, my, that's one thing. Like my digestive tract, my mentality, like. My focus was there, but my joints and my tendons was not, you know, like yeah. I'm a volume trainer. Like when I say volume, if you ever follow my Q and A's, I get fucking livid when people ask me, should I train with volume or should I train with heavy weight? And I'm like, like <laughs> you got to fuck heavy weight, whether it's high volume or low volume. Yeah. You know, yeah. Got, heavy meaning like heavy is a relative term. I know. Like I can do 30 pound dumbbell curls. And that can be heavy if I'm going to complete failure with like 35 reps. That's right. You know, like you're hitting failure, it's heavy. That's or, right. You know, I can do like 65s or 70s for a lower rep range. Weight's heavier, but I'm still going to failure. So, anyways, I like I was always kind of more. I do more sets. You know, I take my. So what is failure. What is, what is like a what does a volume day look like for you for like say chest? How many sets is that? Uh, uh, 15, 20 sets, probably 20. But is like that 20, 20 full on working sets? Like 20 full on failure sets. Yes, correct. Holy shit. So like if that you was, had if, so if you had warm-ups and feeders, you're like there, you're doing 30, 40 sets. Correct. Yeah. That's a lot, man. That's so lot. When you then you're doing that and then you're doing that shit twice a day too. You're burning not only that's the reason the food was substantially higher as well. Now it makes you're sense. You're burning through a lot of calories in doing so. But yeah. just your joints and your tendon going through that repetitive motion over and over and over, I would grow like rapidly because I always like to do two a days right after a show. Yeah, I would scratch the cardio completely, and then instead of doing that cardio in the morning, fasted, I would get up, have a meal, and then go train, and then I would train in the evening as well. And I was growing just like before my own eyes doing so. Yeah. But Can again, I- after four, five, six weeks, I would notice like this elbow in particular, my left tendon it's prone to tendonitis yeah so like it starts getting overworked and it can't handle it it'll start flaring up on me uh same with my left knee is also prone to tendonitis so like whenever i push my body too far for too long it lets me know so i gotta tell you something i actually got that from you what you just said just what you just said just reminded me 
that I got that from you. I remember you put a post up, I think, or I don't know if it was an interview I watched of yours where you were saying, uh, I didn't want to do the cardio. So instead of the cardio, I got rid of the cardio and added the training or something yeah, along, like something along those lines. Effect. Yeah. You I were like, why? Well, despise cardio, man. Like I just, I don't like it. I get no pleasure from it. No enjoyment from it. <laughs> I mean, it's like torture to me. It's not that it's hard. You know, people say it's hard. It's not yeah. hard to do. I just yeah. don't want to do it. So, and I love to train. So like it was a win-win for me. There was no question about it. The only reason I didn't do it in prep is I feel like, again, my body was not going to allow me to train twice a day for a 10 or 12 week prep or I would have done so. That's uh, it's funny you say that I enjoyed, I enjoyed training twice a day. I don't think I ate enough. Now, now hearing you talk about the numbers, I don't think I was eating enough to, for my body to handle it. Cause after about four weeks, I would burn out. I would just start to feel tired and achy. And I'm like, my, I, I just wasn't recovering. I was, uh, one thing about that was I was able to sleep, you know, like, uh, I was getting like six, seven hours at night. And then I was cranking out, you know, a two or three hour power nap in the middle of the day. So yeah, that helped my recovery. But again, when you're, when you're hitting that much volume, it's just almost impossible to keep that up for a long period of time without injury or just aches and pains. Yeah. And I think and that's, that's what, what... That always completely destroy my demeanor and like my attitude is like when I walk into the gym and I know it's like, say it's, it's chest day and this elbow is hurting and I have a subpar workout that didn't make me happy. It would just piss me off the rest of the day. Like I felt like the entire day was gone. Like it was ruined. Yeah. I, I know exactly how you feel there. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of my, own aches and pains but so you don't like cardio at all because for me cardio is like therapy like i'll go in the morning on an empty stomach and it like kind of clears my mind so you don't get that at all from it in the beginning of my prep or say if i'm in the off season when my glycogen's high my energy's high i can go in and do it and i'll feel good afterwards yeah still you know it's like sitting there for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour however long you have to go it was just boring to me like I just couldn't do it. And also I wasn't a guy focused. Like if I'm doing cardio, I'm doing it like hard. You know, I didn't, yeah. I never was who just went in and walked on the treadmill very much. Yeah. Like I'm trying to maintain like 130, 140 heart rate. Now, yeah. I don't know if it's just that's what I do or what. Now, like I've had people tell me that like they're, uh, I couldn't even watch, I couldn't even focus to watch TV, man. Like I just, I couldn't focus. My brain was just focused on how much time was left and my intensity yeah. People tell me that they can play video games house doing cardio. I'm like, I don't know how the fuck you're doing but wait that. Wait a minute. Wait a second. How hard are you going on the cardio? Like, let's say you're on uh, the step mill. What level? Like, I know you say your heart rate's 130, I was, but I. Yeah, I always wore the, the heart rate monitor. So, um, yeah, I was that, that particular about that, too. So I could look down at my watch and see how fast I was actually going. Yeah. It varied. Uh, so, like. Stay on an incline treadmill. Towards the end of my prep, as my endurance was going up, my body weight was going down. I couldn't use it because I couldn't hit the heart rate zone. Yeah, like I would start getting chin splints from going so fast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Ever, realistically, on a scale of one to ten, every stepper is a little different. Like the machine, the manufacturer. On yep. a scale of one to ten, from one being slowest and ten being the fastest it'll go, I'm probably running a six to a seven. That's the problem. See, so like, I'm moving pretty quick. Yeah, that's why you don't like cardio. I'd fucking hate cardio too if I was going that fast. <laughs> it's like yeah, but on the flip side, I was able to get away with a, a minimal amount of it in doing so. Yeah, no, for because for me, I can get my heart rate up to like one thirty, one forty, on like level three. Like I'm not, 
I'm not going, I'm not going fast at all, man. I'm like, this is off season, not when I'm dieting, but like, like I went, I went and did cardio this morning on an elliptical machine and I'm like, I got the resistance set at three and I'm just trotting along and my heart rate's at 120. So I think that's why when I was heavier, easy, like I would go at a slower pace, but as the prep kept got, you know, got deeper, I would, I'm more depleted and my endurance is going up. So it's like, I'm getting slapped from both directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, I got that too. You know, I got to go faster as well. So let me ask you. I want to. I want to change gears a little bit because I feel like there's like a a ranting energy coming from you sometimes online. Are you? Do you get fed up sometimes with the repetitive questions or the the misconceptions that social media puts out there? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I don't even know where to start with like the, like in one in particular, but like I always get, like you said, repetitive stuff, people coming at me, like I'll answer it. And then I don't know if they're like going to follow somebody else and they're seeing the exact opposite answer. Yeah. I'm not real sure how people come up with some of the things that they say. The biggest thing that I like, I get aggravated with is probably the training. Sorry. That was my, my battery thing. that's flashing the reason it goes out. Okay, you got um, you got time left. Probably the I got ten percent, so we probably got fifteen twenty minutes. Okay, cool. Um, Sorry, go on. With this training, like when people like, if, I don't care if you're doing a hundred sets or doing three sets, whatever, that's fine. But when I see people in the gym, especially whenever like certain clients, I'll follow them, and I don't know if they just don't know I'm following them or what. Yeah. But I see their videos, and they'll call it a working set. Like they'll do like a rep like say they pick any weight say they do 12 reps and i've told them to stay in like a 10 to 12 rep range but i yeah. want you to stay in a 10 to 12 rep range and i want you to pick a weight you're going to fail in that rep range yeah. yeah but you know i'll see them do 12 and then they'll just stop but i can tell at the speed they're going but like the emotion like the, the way their face looks like you could have done 16 or 17 so to yeah. me what i would call like an acclimation set okay yeah like, like a finger set 12 reps on an acclimation yeah, 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 I got you. So do you think social media is helping or hurting bodybuilding? Because I feel like it's helping it. I feel like it's helping it because people have access to us and they can learn from us, but I feel like it's hurting it because I feel like all these other people that are bodybuilding, like fitness models and shit, Correct. I feel like people confuse what we're doing with what they're doing, and then they don't really – Yes, they do. You know what I mean? And they learn something different. They're like, well, this fitness model over here said that I should do this many reps. And I'm like, yeah, but this, this is bodybuilding. We're not being fitness models. So is it hurting or helping us to have so many people involved? I think, like you said, it can go both directions. The fact that there's so much, um, I wouldn't necessarily want to say it's poor or incorrect information because like you said, a lot of those people have different goals or maybe they call themselves bodybuilders, but they're really not. Like, I'm really not sure how to take that. Yeah. You know, I see a lot of information put out that, you know, hey, do this and you're going to get big. Or do that, you're going to get big. Well, define big. You know, if big at 180 pounds at 5'8 is big to you, then okay, cool. But, you know, if you yeah. want to be 5'8, 280, you know, your lifestyle is probably going to change a little bit. Yeah. And then you got guys out there. Now, this is the this is the part I don't fucking like about social media. Like, with that guy you mentioned earlier, Tony Huge. Like, yeah. <laughs> that dude, and I hope he sees this. I think he is the biggest fucking moron I've ever met in my life. And I would love to meet him in person just to tell him that to his face. Yeah. 
Um, just because of the shit that he talks about. Like, there was a thing on Generation Iron of him, like, sticking his peck and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, I could have killed you when I was natural. You would not have stood next to me when I was 19 years old and natural, and you're taking, like, 10,000 milligrams of shit. And yeah. you, but the thing is, that's cool. If you want to take that much shit, whatever. I don't give a fuck. But yeah. when, when he tells people that this is what you have to do yeah. to be a top bodybuilder, I'm like, no, you don't. Because I work with big guys who take substantially low amounts. And I work with big guys who take high amounts. You know, yeah. it really varies. But you're, the fact that you're putting that out there for kids to look at, and I guess they believe him because he's, uh, his body is, uh, what's the thing, obtainable. You know, it's yeah. reachable for a lot of people. I mean, That's hell, right. he said I was better than him when I was natural. Like, it wouldn't even been a contest. That's right. Matt, he's not even, not even fucking shredded either. I mean, he's, I'm, he doesn't uh, have pretty muscle. Not lean either. I'm glad you said that because he fucking drives me insane too. You know what? Guys like him are the reason I started this channel because I'm like, I feel like there's a void. There's a void of real bodybuilders talking about this shit. So you get these people that don't really fucking know anything and are just trying to sell their own SARMs or whatever they're trying to sell. Right. Telling all these people they can gain 20 pounds of muscle in 30 days and you can do it by taking all this shit all the same. The other day he said, the other day I saw a clip where he was like, he's pretty lean and he's like, I'm holding a ton. He's like, I'm holding a ton of water right now. He's like, I'm going to start taking diuretics every other day. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're going to, some kid's going to destroy his fucking kidneys because you're telling him to take diuretics every other day right. in the off season. I'm like, what the fuck are you? I don't know any bodybuilders who've ever taken a diuretic other than the day before a show. And this guy yeah. is like, yeah, it's just, it's insane. And you're right. People believe him because, well, if he says it, nobody else is really talking about it. So it must, it must mean that's what the big guys are doing too. Yeah. So I know you only have a little bit of time. And I, and if you want to pass on the comp, on the topic, you can pass on it, but I'll try and keep it vague. When you were competing, when you were growing, were you anywhere near the levels like what Tony Hughes is talking about? Or are you like, it, if you want to give specifics, feel free to, but like, like I'll give my own specifics. For example, I, I was asked the other day uh, well, how I felt about insulin. And I said, I fucking hate it. I actually never liked it. I tried it a couple times because everybody said it was the holy grail. And it just wasn't for me. Like I just didn't like the way it felt, whatever, whatever. So is there anything you want to say about that or just you want to keep it vague or is there anything you want to talk about um, in that sense? Actually, and I'm just gonna, I'll open up completely on this. And for the people watching this, there's going to be the, the real bodybuilders, I think, will understand and believe this. And the guys out there who have been spinning their wheels for the last 10 years and still haven't made any progress, they're not going to believe it. They're going to call bullshit. And that's perfectly fine. They can look that way for another 15 years. I don't yeah. give a fuck. But right. People don't believe this when I say it. From 2011 to 2016, end of 16, my dosages were almost identical. The only, like, they were, like as far as the anabolics, was almost the same. I believe the that. The only change was 2011, I didn't have growth. I got growth like early to that, or no, sorry, late 2012. And that started at four, it went to six, and then it got up to eight. And that was yeah. it. Yeah. You know, to me, I thought eight was high. Like, I yeah. thought I was like, really doing stuff. And then, like, I see other people doing 15 and 20. 
and 30. I'm like, for one, how the fuck do you afford it? Two, That's what I, I wonder, too. Like the side yeah, but yeah. The other things, you know, I see people running like 15 different compounds and stuff. My off-seasons were extremely simple. Like, yeah. for example, uh, I remember reading the comments. I was doing, I guess, I think it was Sacramento, somewhere in Northern California. It might have been San Jose where I was guest posing. And I was out there, and this was in 2015. It was the summer. So I had, like, a successful rebound about four or five weeks after the Arnold. I came back, settled down. I wasn't supposed to guest pose here, by the way. Yeah. I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. I was supposed to do that show as the guest poser. He won the cow the week prior. And I'm guessing that he must have, like, went out and ate a bunch of shit or something, and he got sick. Yeah. Anyways, he was, like, puking, had to go to the doctor and stuff, and he canceled the guest posing because I guess he couldn't. Couldn't do it. Yeah. So I was already in California and Connie asked me, Hey, do you want to make some extra money this weekend? And I'm just, I'm literally at a restaurant eating like a burger and fries. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, fuck. I was like, I don't really want to do it. I feel fat right now. Yeah. So I did it and everyone was like blown away at how good I was. And I personally, in my head, I didn't think I was good at all. Yeah. But I was reading some of the comments. It was on Adam McVeigh's bullshit, which he's another guy. Oh, fuck. Needs to get. Give me, give me started on but, him too. Yeah. I'm done yet. This yeah. little geared up page, people were on there talking about, well, Justin's doing this and this and this and this. And at that time, I had been on a TRT dose. And my TRT, there's a big misconception of that too. TRT, yeah. in my opinion, is 200 less. These guys send her on TRT at 600 plus decker. And I'm like, <laughs> <That's a TRT. laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm actually yeah. running about 200. 250 milligrams and i've been doing that for like six weeks and i was eating like ass and these guys were like oh he's doing all this fucking shit and i'm like yeah i actually get humor out of it when i see it yeah. because i'm thinking those are the guys who are saying that is probably actually doing it and yeah. they look like a, a novice level or like a local regional yeah. level competitor there was nothing wrong with guys on that level i'm not saying that but when you're running five grams plus and yeah you can't win a local show that's a problem so let me but, let you know, me like i would keep off season extremely simple man like um i tried one time and i didn't like how it made me feel my test got as high as 1500 yeah didn't like it yeah around a thousand to 1200 was the sweet spot and that was off season or prep either one that was that was my number and then i yeah. would always alternate um deca or eq so like depending on how long the off season was when i say alternate i don't mean like every other injection you know like one, oh, stack know. And one yeah, yeah yeah i mean like um we'll do like 10 weeks of DECA and then we're going to take like an eight week break and take nothing. And then the next one, we're going to do EQ and I would keep that around 600, those two. Okay. And then depending on my appetite, I didn't always do an oral. Yeah. Like if my appetite was not the par, then I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any orals, but if I feel like I could eat, I would do it. Yeah. I learned, I learned in 2009, I couldn't take orals anymore. I took, I used to take Anadrol and D-ball and I would cycle them different, different cycles. And in 2009, yeah. I was like, I can't, I figured it out. I'm like, I was in a prep and I couldn't fucking eat. And it was, I'm like, I think I was working with Hani at the time. And I was like, I can't do the fucking Anadrol. It's like, it's not, I'm like, it's fucking me up. As soon as I got rid of it within like a week and a half, I was starving. Yeah. That was the same with me. And it, mine was actually usually, usually a little quicker, you know, maybe yeah. like five to six days. I was pretty good, but yeah. I think one of the Arnold's that I did, I did the same thing. It was actually Anadrol. I yeah. took that. I'm eating, uh, you know, like I was cruising or on TRT prior to starting the prep. And then like 12 weeks out, I start the prep. 
my carbs were somewhere like 800 in the off season. And I'm, I'm still hungry. Like I, I'm good. 800, yeah. Yeah. Carbs. Yeah. Start like I noticed I can, I had to lower the food, not because my body, not because of my appearance, needed it, just because I couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. I couldn't lower it in the same fashion that I would normally lower the food in. And I think I got my food down to like 150 grams of carbs a day. Like I'm just looking at the food and I'm, I'm like, this is not you. This is not like yeah. not what it is. Like I felt tired. I felt wore out, but I just couldn't eat. And then I kicked the androm six, seven days later, my appetite's firing. And then as soon as I started eating again, my body came back to life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I noticed the same thing. Um, let me ask you, I, I, I'm, I'm really happy you're able to talk about this because uh, I think it's important for a lot of younger guys to hear an actual pro that's actually been successful and not just some fucking guy on YouTube uh, talking about doses and talking about this and that. For me, uh, I actually agree with you. My sweet spot is 1250. Uh, yeah. I want to, I want to, I can go to 15, but I think a lot of that also is dependent on how much you've done in your career. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you always did 15, 15 is probably normal. Whereas if you never did it and then you went to that place, it might feel like shit. Correct. So, yeah, if you did, if you've never done it before, but I slowly worked my way, you know, like, um, you know, as an amateur, I'm around like 750. Yeah. And then when I turned pro, it went to a thousand and we tried 1500 for my pro debut. And yeah. I just felt like immediately within two weeks, I just, um, I felt lethargic, you know, I just felt tired and I felt wore out. I didn't yeah. feel like myself. I actually suffered through it. You know, I did the whole prep with it for about 10 weeks, but yeah. I didn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I found 1250 is is the right place for me also. So let me ask you one more topic before you go. Do you have a girlfriend or not? Yeah. How long have you been with her? Um, uh, I'm going to hope she doesn't watch this. (laughs) I'm sorry, how long? I I don't know the exact date. Oh, you don't know the exact date. (laughs) Are we talking years or months? No, 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 years. Oh, okay, okay. You have kids? Years, sorry. Years would be plural, like two and up. Okay. So somewhere at year and a half mark. Okay, okay. You don't have, you don't have kids? No, no kids. Um, I was going to ask if there was anybody in your life that you think was instrumental in helping you on your rise to the top, or was it all you? So when you were, uh, when you were getting I, there? Honestly, man, I would say everyone, like um, my closer friends and whatnot. Yeah. Because I have a friend who is, um, he doesn't have the genetic capacity that I have, but, you know, he's got the work ethic and the drive. Actually, all my friends have that. Yeah. I just was the blessed one that had the genetics to grow much faster than me. Yeah. So, you know, we all kind of, like when I would compete younger and whatnot, like we'd bounce ideas off each other and I helped learn from them and they learned from me. Uh, one of my good friends is still one of my best friends to this day. Um, he got me into bodybuilding, you know, took me to some shows, got me motivated, got me to do it. Um, and then over the years, I've always been blessed enough. Family, you know, when I was a teenager, helped support me. And even in college, they helped support me. My mom and my dad, they were always very supportive of that. And then you know, I was always blessed enough to be in relationships that was not toxic. Like you hear people yeah, talking yeah. about like, you know, fighting, fussing, all this bullshit. Like I, I didn't have that. You know, I had people that in my life over the years that was, um, they liked what I was doing. They didn't have a problem with it. You know, they didn't bitch because I wasn't eating pizza and ice cream every, every night or anything like that. Yeah, so yeah. 
you know, even though you say that's exes, I could still say that, you know, they were positive, even though they, they're exes, but they were still positive influence in that regards to me. Yeah, yeah. So do you think, let me ask you this final question. Do you think uh, somebody coming up can make it to the top of the bodybuilding world without people around him that have a work ethic like his or better? Yes. Um, it, it, in my opinion, your personal work ethic is up to you. Like, for example, if all my friends, and I've told them this, like, if y'all stop fucking working out and y'all just get fat and skinny, I, I don't <laughs> care. Like, you're still going to be my friends. And I'm still going to yeah. do what I do. Yeah. Like, I'm still, I'm not going to change my end because you guys have done. And honestly, when I moved to Florida, you know, there's a, the gym that I train in, I train at Anytime Fitness. Yeah. And obviously, you know, not knocking anybody, but nobody really outworks me there. Yeah. Any, not even close. Um, yeah. For the most part, when I would train, I would be training by myself. Um, you know, this regular Joe's in the gym. And I was obviously the, the hardest working guy in the gym at that time. So yeah. by having other people around me that work as hard or, you know, harder than me, I don't think it was, that was an influence in what I wanted to do. You know, I think your motivation, just like the people watch these motivational videos, like me working out should not motivate you. You should be motivated on your own. You shouldn't have yeah. to see someone else doing it because if you're going to the internet and seeking motivation, that's just going to be a temporary phase in your life. You know, I agree. You, 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 may, you may watch a really awesome chest workout and decide you're going to go work out that day and kill it, but that, that's going to fade. You know, like it's got to be an internal drive, like a clock that just works. Yeah, I agree. So you um, have to work or you don't. I mean, it, it's that simple. There's really not a middle ground. The middle ground is the guy who has been getting third place at their local show for the last 10 years. That's your <laughs> middle ground. Uh, guys, you, know, you know, they uh, progress and they succeed and go to the top. And there's guys that just, you know, fade off, but there's that middle ground guy. That's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, okay. Honestly, I have like a million more questions as a bodybuilding fan. They're just, a lot of them are silly, but like, I know you got to go. So I was going to ask you, will you come back on the podcast some other time? Cause I want to talk to, I want to talk to you about competing at, sorry, what was that? So we can do it in a week or two or a month or, you know, sooner, just whatever. Yeah. I'll just have you back on. Cause I want to ask you about just some of the deeper meaning of, of being at the Olympia and competing at the Olympia and just all these other bodybuilding related questions. Um, but like I said, we've been on for a little over an hour now and I know you have a busy schedule, so I'm going to let you do your thing, but I really, really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, or say a message you want to give before you go? Um, not really, man, but you know, anyone that's listening and you know, you're looking for somebody to coach you, you know, I still have some spots available. So that's my, my only, uh, sales, sales pitch here. How can they, you know what? I will just tag your Instagram, uh, in the description. How's that? Yeah. And it can get you that Do way. That, right. Um, and then the album, you know, anyone that's watching that's interested, you can come to my Instagram page, DM me directly. And then, you know, we'll go from there through email or however they wish to communicate. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Justin. I really, really appreciate it, man. I hope everybody uh, gets to hear what it's really like to be a successful bodybuilder. Yeah. Yeah. No problem, man. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you very much, man.